Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby Podcast. The weeks are flying by. Just over four weeks to go until we're into the thick of it and previewing Ireland's opening game against uh, against Romania in Bordeaux in Pool B. We're going to be with you every week until the start of the World Cup. Then we'll be into two-a-week pods for the duration of the tournament. Bernard Jackman is with us again this week in um, interesting surroundings. We can't quite see it now at the moment with the way the, the camera is, but... With the shine behind you, yeah, that's a nice little stadium behind you. What brings it to what brings it to Tony Park? <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not down here for a match. I'm down here taxi service to collect my son, who's in a language college in a place called Villiers, and he's getting out this morning at ten o'clock. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, so we're the worst parents in the world sending them to, to language college twice during the summer. But um, I, it'll be good for him, and um. Yeah, I'm just bringing him home, and I was—I didn't want to do it from the car, so I, I said I'll chance my arm. I'm quite priest, never got a rich parish, and uh, called up to Tomlin Park, and the fairness they were lovely, and put me into box number twelve. So um, yeah, it's much much nicer than my normal surroundings. These are the connections, Mick, that you have to make around the country now. Every every <laughs> every ground you're stopping by, you can just pull in and. You know, just just use the bathroom or something <sighs> if you want, whatever whatever you need. How are you getting on anyway, Mick? It's been a while since we had you on. Are you? Are you still officially in retirement or, or have Clontarf roped you out for another season? No, no, officially in retirement. Yeah, I'm coming to you from Fortress Saluplast here. So um, <laughs> in the board, boardroom with the family business, not quite not quite as stunning, but uh, pretty good all the same. <laughs> well, look, the season hasn't even season hasn't even started yet. I'm sure a few months in, there'll be a few calls made and we'll, uh, we'll get you roped back out for a few more games. Um, guys, we'll start straight in with the, the main news of the week. And... Um, it's the, the injury news around Jack Conan. So as people know by now, picked up the foot injury against Italy on Saturday evening. He stayed behind while the rest of the Ireland camp have gone to Portugal. Here's a little snippet of what Simon Easterby had to say when he was asked about it yesterday. He says, we'll find out next week. We're still waiting on an assessment. And we decided it was probably best for him to stay back in Dublin and rehab. And then we'll get a better indication on how he is when we arrive back into camp next week. So Easterby was asked further about it then later on in the press conference about whether Conan would be a, a worry or a, a doubt for the World Cup. And I suppose the relieving news is he said, no, genuinely not. Jack has in the past had troubles with his foot, but this is nothing like it was back in 2019. He was pretty bullish around the injury from everything we've been hearing and we haven't had full feedback yet. Everything we're hearing is that it's, what he says, a positive injury as opposed to a, a really negative one. All in all, Birch, it, like it's all very vague, but it does seem like it's, positive enough news and it doesn't seem like to be something that's going to be hanging around the Ireland camp for the next five weeks or so No look at it, it's it's quite early um, in terms of getting an injury like that uh, you know a couple of weeks I think would sort it out, I think it makes sense to leave him back obviously um, it was a late kickoff Saturday night um, get the MRI scans, get them read and if there was any need to go to see a specialist it's a lot easier to do it from, from Dublin um, and while they have phenomenal facilities in in Kinted Lago, in, in the campus, etc. Um, I, I think it's just worth leaving them here to make sure if there is further um, scans or, or specialists needed that he can access the people they've been dealing with, you know, for the last 10, 15 years who are all top class. So I thought you always get a feel for the player and it was, you know, it was interesting. Like he flagged that he had a little bit of a knock. They were quick to get him off. Obviously not going to take any risks. And as he came off, you know, he was very comfortable that it was just something quite minor. Um, and then, of course, nowadays everyone sees someone in a boot and and they they treat it like the general public, where having a boot on is, is a massive deal. Whereas 
effectively it's just precautionary and, and just make sure everything is protected and you don't do any further damage. So, um, yeah, you like generally when there's serious injuries, you know straight away the player knows and, and the staff know. And uh, I think this is just um, something that will heal quite quickly, to be honest. And he may end up uh, towards the end of the week going down to Portugal and just catching up with everyone else. But uh, um, it's a lot better to leave him here rather than send him down and then bring him back again. Um, so I can understand why there's been a bit of speculation about it, but I think it's all okay. Yeah, and Mick, there is just something about those those warm-up games where as soon as someone goes down, and I think it's just because we've seen so many bad injuries in the past where as soon as Conan started walking toward down the sideline and down towards the tunnel, there was nearly this this hush around the Aviva Stadium. But like the flip side of it is, you know, like he didn't even appear to be limping. He kind of walked down fairly quickly. There wasn't much much fuss around it. It was it was in and out really all the same. No big time. Look, as as Birch mentioned, you you generally know straight away from the player's reaction as to whether a guy has done serious damage or not. Like the Menoncello being being the perfect example, you know, geez, your, your heart will go out to the guy. He's, he's in tears coming off the pitch. His World Cup dream has ended. And as well as him, even like on the other side of the world, Alan Alalatoa, who, who ruptured his Achilles against, against the All Blacks two weeks ago as well. Like it's just tragic stuff for those guys. Um, but I don't, I don't think there's anything to worry about with Jack. Uh, there, there is the fear from the general public of, of seeing him in a boot on the sideline. But uh, as Birch mentioned there, um, it's it's a case that it's just pure precaution. Uh, it's it's a load it's a load bearing thing as much as anything. Putting them into the boot takes takes a bit of weight um, off that off that area, and um, you know it gives them gives them the best chance to recover as quickly as possible. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, on the the game on on Saturday, then Birch. There were a handful of players that that stood out. I mean, Kalen Doris did the obvious one, but it, I I probably don't even want to talk about him too much because like he's a cert to be in the squad as it is. Is is there anyone who who had their chance to shine, chance to impress that you you think actually did put their hand up and and stake a claim for a for a place in the squad or 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 someone who was maybe half in half out and nailed down their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, look at I think the people I think Joe McCarthy had a had a very positive uh match and he's someone who's obviously on that fringe or on that bubble of will he make it, will he not? Probably to be honest, before that game. And still I probably think he probably possibly won't make it. Um but he was exactly the type of player that um Leinster and, and Farrell have been so excited about. Like he's he's a little bit like Tom O'Toole where Farrell kind of brought him in before he probably earned it for 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 his province, if you know what I mean. But um, they could see that he had different attributes as Tom O'Toole does in terms of being a real power athlete, um, than some of the fellas who have 30, 40 games for the province. And and you know, I know Leinster are very excited about, it, but he had some injuries that probably cost him valuable game time, which he could have put his case forward more. But um, I think he's the reason John Klein isn't in in the squad, and and uh, the Farrell is going to bet on him as such and, and maybe this World Cup will come too quick for him but certainly in terms of you know going forward north-south um, uh, he he showed what he's about on on, on Saturday night and, and had a positive impact probably the two lads who started third choice at halfback Casey and uh, Crowley they had really positive games I think and um, you know it's really going to be really interesting I presume Ross Byrne is going to start against England, but it's going to be really interesting who 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 becomes number two to Sexton um, over the coming weeks. Uh, Crowley certainly laid down a strong marker. And Casey, 
probably didn't do enough to pass out Gibson Park or, or Connor Murray. Um, but I think he had a, a very strong game and shows that he can help us play with that tempo that Mike Cass um, really, you know, really puts uh, puts huge emphasis on about the way Ireland play. So they were the ones. Stockdale had a, had a good game. Um, I just wonder, Will, uh, I don't know if he'll, if, he, if he'll make it. I think Earls and uh, Mac Hansen, James Lowe, um, with Jimmy O'Brien obviously being a utility um, may just be ahead of him there it'll really depend on what Spit Farrell goes with but uh, it was certainly a good one for Stockdale I mean there's huge expectation about him going into the game because obviously in 2018 he was uh, phenomenal he's had a difficult time but I thought I thought he showed up really well Any specific individuals you want to you want to mention Mick or, or even just to follow up on anything Birch said? No, same again. Same again with with Joe McCarthy. I suppose I thought uh, I thought he had a really positive impact on the game. And you know, if, if he does make the World Cup squad, like he does have a point of difference in terms of being that that big, powerful body. Um, obviously, no disrespect to the guy. Um, if he does make that squad, I probably can't see him starting or playing in that South Africa game or starting or playing in uh, in the Scotland game. But at the same time, against the likes of Tonga, who are massive man to have to have a big body in your ranks like that it, it gives a massive amount of confidence to to the people around you you know they obviously have Sam Lousy, Fafita, Tammy Afuna just these absolute monsters um, so sometimes just having someone to, to counteract that size or to look somewhat similar um, you know is, is, of, is of a massive benefit to a team like Ireland and to, to follow on from that point then about the the size and and along those lines, is that where Stockdale puts an extra tick in his box? Birch mentioned him there as well, and like he was, I thought he was the one Ireland player in the first half that was doing something every time he got the ball. But the the question people have had about Stockdale for a couple of years is the defense, and he has that, you know, the the missed tackle for the the first Italy try and. I know it was probably a, a team malfunction that they just gave Italy way too much space out wide, but ultimately he's meeting the player five metres out and just slips off the tackle. It was an unfortunate one for him because up until then, I think he'd been he'd been doing quite well. Not very much so. I thought that was a massive, massive moment for Jacob, you know. Um, like the question in my mind immediately was if, if that's a World Cup final or World Cup semi-final and, and Jacob is in that position, is he is he letting that happen? You know, is, is it a case that, like, I know he hasn't had an opportunity in a long time. Um, this, obviously, his first start in a long time, and he had a really good game up to that point. But I, I just felt that that was, that was a very soft moment for him, and I'm sure it's it's something that he'll be quite disappointed in as well, because as you mentioned, there is a, there's a little bit of an idea around that defensively he, he isn't where he could be, I suppose. And then Birch, the the flip side of it, and in the interest of balance, the the second Italy try, it's it's Keith Earls in a thirteen at that stage and just gets walked over by Menangella. Yeah, but absolutely, look, Earls would be very disappointed. But the reality is that close to your nine, you need to have two men hit. Sorry, your line, you need to have two men hits. You know, like it's very rare you see one on ones um, in, in in the opposition twenty two. And I think if you look at the Brook beforehand, Ireland were very, very slow to, to come around a corner. Um, I think Stuart, the, the Ulster hooker, he flew around a corner. He was calling more bodies. And 
uh, Tyke Furlong from memory, he parked up for a second and that just left us a little bit short. And because of that, because we were short on the fold, um, Earls, we had to leave it one on one, and and obviously Earls, he missed that tackle, missed that tackle, missed that tackle, but um, which you'd be disappointed with. But that's and to come back to the first try, I think Stockdale had two errors in that, and and I know I think Ireland were too narrow, um, but he has he has responsibility as the as the open side winger there to make sure we're not narrow, and then he came in to try and shut it down, gets caught, and then he obviously misses the tackle on on the scramble, so. Um, that's the kind of thing that Simon Easterby, you know, will will be looking at. They'll be looking at the system, who's responsible uh, within that system to to give us wit, and then obviously the 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 missed tackle is something that can happen. But uh, when you back that up on top of obviously system error, which you're responsible for, then it, it could be a, a massive black mark through your through your name. So, um, and I look at at the end when Stockton, like Jack Crowley was in a fullback, and as you said for a second try, Peter Earls in a thirteen. So the the game had become a little bit unsettled you had you know changes in terms of personnel positional changes etc but realistically for that crop who played against Italy there was a lot of fellas on the fringe in that and they kind of needed to nearly be picture perfect and, and uh, some of them weren't just going back to the you know who made a big impact probably Ian Henderson I thought yeah you know um, he's someone who we know is going to travel um, but Definitely his starting place for the likes of South Africa or, or Scotland was a little bit in doubt just because of how well James Ryan and Tygburn did um last year. For me anyway, but and obviously we know that Ian Henderson is a top player, but um and he's had some injuries. But I thought he looked unbelievably good for his first game, you know. Um first since, first since, first since March as well, bearing yeah. mind for Henderson. Not even yeah, just, not even April, May. And he was contact contact fit and, and contact powerful and it was interesting afterwards Farrell saying how happy he was with, with, with Henderson obviously he was a captain but he said he played his weight okay because he's a big man and that's kind of what we're looking for Joe McCarthy is to is to is to play his weight but it was interesting like you know it's probably if, if Ian Henderson is at his best I don't think you need to bring Joe, Joe McCarthy to be fair because he gives you that um, along with an incredible amount of experience as well that Joe obviously doesn't have yet. So I thought probably he's the one that Farrell will be most happy with. We know Kellen Doris is, is world-class. We know Jack Cohen, you know, is capable of great things, etc. cetera. Uh, Robbie Henshaw had a quiet game, but there's no doubt about him. Um, but it was, it was probably Ian Henderson is the one that went away with it with a lot of credit and is someone who could be a big player for us in those big games. Yeah, Mick, and to follow on from that, like as Birch said, it, it wasn't as if Henderson was really in any doubt of missing out on the the wider squad. But what it does do is just reinforce the the depth that Ireland have now at at second row, where you've James Ryan, who has arguably had his best season over the last twelve months. You've Tyg Byrne, who again is is brilliant, came off the bench on Friday, made a brilliant jackal steal as well, and then Henderson, who's had a really tough couple of years with injuries, but based on last weekend has come into this World Cup block absolutely firing. No, definitely, definitely. And I'm actually delighted for Hendy personally to see him go so well in that game. Um, in my mind, it's off the back of him actually getting a proper preseason under his belt. You know, as was mentioned over the last number of years, he's had he's had some tough times with injury. And, you know, I don't think he's been able to fully fully take part in those preseasons over over the last number of years. So to see him go out there tonight, have massive responsibility in the game in terms of obviously being the captain. Then on top of that, he's calling the lineouts 
and then you know put that performance together around the park it was it was brilliant to see and hopefully there's more to come from him over the next few weeks uh, something for both of you and I might start with you Mick on it one thing that cropped up on on Saturday and it's been a it's been a long running issue for Ireland now I'm talking going back two three years but the the amount of penalties they're conceding at the line out mall for obstruction just just sealing off getting ahead like the the lifters getting in ahead of the jumper and blocking things off and getting penalized it happened it was two penalties against Italy um I I don't have the exact stats. I would guess you're looking at the roughly one a game over the last two years, it feels like, for Ireland. And it feels like it happens a lot for Irish provinces as well. It seems like something that they're consistently getting pinged for. Is this something that you'd be a little bit worried about now coming into the World Cup that they haven't eradicated out of their game? Or, and uh, I'll, I'll offer my brother's thoughts into this. I was chatting to him about it the other day and part of him is wondering that, is this, have... Have the coaches potentially done the maths on this and decided we're willing to push the limits on this? And if we get penalized once every now and again, you know, if it means that we score two or three mall tries or, you know, we get great field position out of it, you're willing to take that chance or you're willing to take the hit of a penalty. What would be your your view of it? Uh, yeah, I, I thought in the game the last day that the lads were a little bit sloppy. Now, looking at it from a broader point of view, it's a race. It's a race for those lifters to take the space. You know, they need to get forward and take that space as, as quickly as possible and then, you know, wait for the punch to come from behind. It's something that I thought Ireland did really, really, really well the last day, even. Um, you know, that second layer, the three guys coming in, they just they asked they added massive punch um to that front wall. So your brother could be right in terms of looking at the numbers side of things and saying, okay, well. You know, if we if we get away with it ten times, giving away one or two penalties isn't isn't the worst thing. What probably disappointed me most about those penalties was was the fact that I think Ryan Baird gave away both of them, and um, you know, whatever giving away one penalty and saying okay, thinking in your mind the ref's pretty hot on this, I'm going to need to be careful. Going and giving away another one, um, is something that I'd imagine uh, Paul O'Connell and the Ireland coaching staff weren't massively pleased with um particularly the second one it was in a it was in a really good position to to have a crack off from a from a mauling point of view but um the way teams are defending the mall at the moment you know they have kind of a a four a wall of four like really low on the hips um coming against the front wall so if you don't get if you don't get forward and down there as a lifter um you get high it just it can just mess up the whole arrangement you're just not going to go forward at all and then there's issues of refs being hot on the the nine coming in to move the ball and the hooker having to break out uh like like Bougarit had to do a couple of times with with France the last say against Scotland who who defended really well from a mauling point of view so that would that would be my kind of opinion on it uh I don't know if I agree with your brother I wouldn't be surprised if they had done that um but I understand the the importance of of getting forward there. I'm throwing my brother Birch under the bus because I don't want to to take the heat for the opinion itself, <laughs> but I just want to put it out there, you know? What's, yeah, your, what's, your, what's your take on the whole thing? I think they'll be frustrated. I, I don't think... I think they want to get that protection to the catcher um, as quickly as possible, but, I mean, when, it's okay against Italy. Um, you know, you're going to get another opportunity, um, but realistically, looking at 
knockout stages, looking at South Africa, Scotland. If you make that decision to go to the corner, you know, the last thing you want to do is let them off the hook. And Ireland are very good. Even if Ireland don't get that mall like dominance and go forward, they, they have a variety of breakout plays. They'll go into their pick and go game. You know, their the conversion rate in the 22 is very strong. So I I think I think that's a it's a rude awakening to to O'Connell. Um it's something referees are obviously very conscious of Irish teams um being on the edge of the law or, or, or over the edge of the law on. And I'd say as individuals now will be spending a huge amount of time um, making sure that they, they're better there. You know, they're better there. I remember O'Connell, one of his, in his first season as forwards coach, he had this little trick where they used to actually pull the opposition backlifter into that space quite quickly. Um, and obviously then, it obviously highlighted the referee, so it's very obvious. So instead of actually hitting it early, they just pull him in and then hit us, um, but win the penalty. Like the worst thing you can do is is give away a penalty there and give them an easy exit. So um, that's one of the areas I think Ireland will be examined. I don't think you can afford. I think you have to play on the edge, but you can't, and you will give away the odd penalty. But at the moment, over the last year, um, we've been caught far too often there. And to to run it back to something you mentioned earlier when we were talking about Jacob Stockdale and that tackle. If there's five minutes to go in a game against South Africa and you've got one shot at this mall in the corner and you give away that penalty, that's when it becomes absolutely criminal. Yeah, and and to be honest, they're the ones the referees sometimes are are mm. are looking to um, make a big call on, you know, um, and it's something that they get rewarded on if they spot it. But look, the reality is the reason they're so pernickety about it is if you do get that protection, if you get a double bank behind a catcher effectively it's nearly it's not impossible but the advantages are massively on the side of the attacking team and uh everything is supposed to be about a contest and a fair contest so that's why they're really hot because like you know i spoke to some people coming out of the viva and they don't really see a massive issue with it because for them a mall is, is 16 bodies you know pushing uh pushing against each other but that the reward for getting in there and being allowed to stay there um is 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 massive for the attacking team so that's why referees are so hot in it um, after the game, Mick Andy Farrell was it was pretty straight up when he said that just because there's forty two, well forty one, if you're taking out Johnny Sexton who's suspended, but just because there's that many players in the squad, doesn't necessarily mean every single person is going to be playing over these these next two games. Now, if you were to look at the the players who who didn't play at the weekend, and if you break it down into the handful that would be on the fringes of the squad. So like take out all the guys who essentially are guaranteed a place in the, in the 33 man squad. You're looking at the likes of Ross Byrne, Jamie Osborne, Gavin Coombs, and probably Kieran Treadwell in there. Would you be expecting all of those guys to, to feature against England? Um, I'd certainly, I'd be hoping that uh, Treadwell, Coombs and Byrne would get a shot. Now, you know, I, I wouldn't be overly surprised if, if Jamie Osborne didn't get a run at it, um, just purely purely based on on his uh on his age, mm-hmm. no no disrespect to him as a player, he's he's a cracking player and he's had he's had a great season for uh for Leinster, but I wouldn't be surprised if if the coaching staff were more so looking at him for the years to come and you know seeing this as as an opportunity to experience a, a World Cup camp, um. Look, he'd be he'd be very disappointed himself. I'd imagine if if he didn't get some form of crack over uh 
over the next couple of weeks. But you know, at the same time, there is a there's a touch of of earning your stripes about it as well in my mind. And and Birch Gavin Coombs is one of the the players we mentioned last week, and you were saying you were you know curious to see would he get a, a shot against Italy. Would you be slightly worried for his chances of making the squad that he wasn't involved, or do you think he he will get a pretty good opportunity to? to plant his flag against against England? No, I'd be worried for him, to be honest. I thought that was a great chance for him to play. Like, he may he may get lots of minutes against Portugal um, this week in that unofficial training game. Is he going to play against England? Probably probably not. And then, um, depending on what game time Farrell needs for the, you know, the likes of um, Josh Van der Fleer, does Conan need more game time, etc.? Samoa mightn't be a, a a guaranteed game either. The reason I I felt his end of season form for Munster was outstanding. I think since he had that kind of high profile, uh, and not just him, but that November November international a international against New Zealand a where he was probably the fall guy really to a certain extent in terms of you know Ireland were very poor, but in the forward pack in particular he, he didn't really have a big impact in the game and and it seemed to. Um, affect his chances with with Farrell a little bit, but I thought he went back to Munster and just improved in all areas that were questionable, you know, um, and particularly work rate, because um, he was always been brilliant with the ball in hand, um, but there was a lot of other elements of his game that improved. So I felt he was someone who was who had made a big push. Um, but when you look at us, you know, the fact that Doris is going to be our our cover at seven, um, I think they're going to. Look at using a tight burn as a, as a, as obviously a six as well. Um, I think if we are going to kind of chop places in in our squad, back row is one of the ones the fire might be quite lean on, and that obviously could uh could affect Coombs. I, I liked last year seeing him play a little bit as lock. You know, I thought that would have um obviously added to his uh versatility and, and options to get in, but um at the moment. Unless Conan's out, I, I I don't think Gavin Coombs is is going to get in, and and that's. Look, we're very, we're very rich in the back row, but on form for his province, he he certainly deserved deserves um, some game time. But also, Farrell has to think about the big picture. You know, I mean, um, getting forty minutes against Italy, um, if it's not going to help the, the overall squad, if, if he's not going to be a, a a member of the squad, well, then it's a waste of time, really. And and it's all about putting the putting the the team first and 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 seems that there's a very good awareness of that. I mean, you know, even just compared to England and we'll talk about that in a second, but just, you know, there was leaks in terms of fellas who'd been told by Fortwick they weren't going, you know, they leaked to the journalists quite quickly, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't see that happen in Ireland. I, I think no matter even if there's a high profile player left out, um, I think that they will put their ego behind them and um and get behind the team. Yeah, all those permutations and the numbers games and who has versatility leads us nicely into the next side of things, which is just that there have been a few squads named over the course of the last few days, a few 33-man squads for the World Cup, not even just just training squads. And it has been really, really interesting to see the the logic that some coaches are taking over than others. First of all, even before you get to the numbers themselves, but just the fact that the likes of New Zealand, England, South Africa have all put their cards on the table this early into August and said this is the 33 we're we're using like for example I was listening to Mick I was listening to the BBC's rugby podcast the other day and they were interviewing Steve Borthwick and he specifically said how 
they'd kind of spoken to the players and getting the 33-man squad named quite early was a big thing for them to reduce any kind of performance anxiety or selection anxiety around things. Um, whereas on the Irish side of things, it's we're playing three warm-up games and after those end of August, probably 10 days or so before the tournament starts, that's when the 33-man squad is going to be there. So from the Irish side of things, you're you're driving competition, you're making sure everybody's at their best, but you're also obviously taking a little bit of a risk that people are worried about selection. How do you um do you put yourself back into into a player's shoes? How do how do you feel about that? Which do you think you would prefer? Uh yeah, look, I think there's pros and cons to both. Um I think England naming their squad so early, it, it gives them an opportunity to build that cohesion, you know. Um there's not that there isn't that bit of anxiety around geez, am, am I gonna be in, am I gonna be out? Uh and it maybe gives them more of an opportunity uh from a player's point of view just to just to actually fit into the system. Because as much as as much as the likes of Ireland would say, particularly around guys coming off the bench, we just want you to fit in, we just want you to fit in. If it's a trial game for you know, potentially the highlight of your career, you're going to be thinking in your own mind, I need to do a little bit more than just fit in here. Because firstly, I wasn't starting. So therefore, I'm more than likely not definitely on the plane. I need to go out and try and try and do something here. Uh, like around Steve Borthwick's comments with the performance anxiety, there's always performance anxiety. If you're playing, if you're playing for your country, I'd imagine like Bert would be able to tell you more than I would, but like, you're always you're always going to have that that pressure and anxiety and and fear of fear of scrutiny, um. So I've I don't know how much how much heed I I take to that. What I found interesting about Farrell going into the Ireland game was that, you know, when he was asked what kind of what he'd like from the Ireland performance against Italy, he said he just wanted a cohesive performance, and I think he set up his team in that way from the point of view that. You know, Casey and Crowley were playing together. They're obviously provincial teammates. Uh, Herring and Henderson, from a line-out point of view, were playing together. You had Tom O'Toole and Herring as well in, in the front row. So you have that connection from a from a tight head to to hooker standpoint. Um, so I'd say I'd say Farrell will probably try and build his cohesion in that way, whereas England are doing it in a way similar to South Africa that they're they're naming their team really early and. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna get those lads playing together uh, as much as possible coming into the tournament. And Birch, without patting ourselves on the back and telling us how great we are, the fact that Ireland are naming so late in August, it probably does speak to a pretty happy camp, a pretty a pretty good morale in there, and and, and a pretty good just mood around the around the camp. Yeah, look at uh, you know the um, the proof would be in the in the eating, but I think there's there's. This is a four-year plan, you know what I mean? And um, whereas I think Bortwick, to be fair, has come in. He's it's it's a late change, obviously, in the World Cup cycle when he replaced Eddie Jones, and he probably feels he's better off having thirty-three fellas in in the camp, uh, where he can just concentrate on them and and look at the performance against Wales. Um, he needs as much time as possible. Uh, with his team because they look to be very very lackluster uh, and very low on. On, on, on a plan or cohesion so uh, but the problem is then you know he's a couple of injuries this week he has to bring fellas back in straight away which mm. which isn't ideal you know um, and I think I think what Farrell is trying to do is he's built a squad mentality since since the start and 
he wants them all to be in as long as possible uh, in, in camp. And, and look, it'll be, it'll be pretty clear to some of them. He'll be having conversations with some of them, I think, over the next week or two, saying, look, you know, you're not going to probably make the squad, but you're still very much close to it. And, and you know, it's even from the top down. So, Nusifor has asked the provinces to play a series of friendlies, maybe a little bit earlier than they would have liked. <clears throat> so, those lads from the squad can go back to the province and, and be matched fit. Uh, and obviously, other people can potentially be late bolted as well. So, um, there's a lot of control um, because of the way the Irish rugby is set up. That probably makes it easier for us to do what we're doing. To be fair to Bortwick, you know, um, if he kept 45 or 46 in camp all the way through August, potentially you'd have premiership clubs roaring and screaming at him as well. Um, and maybe there's a cost element to the R- the RFU because they take those players on loan or draw central contract here. So there's a, I, I, I think that we, we need to think about each individual country have their own reasons for doing what they do. Um, and some of them aren't purely uh, based around, you know, uh, the best thing for that country. It can be the politics within that country or the, the timing that the coach got the job. But for me, it's interesting. South Africa is the most interesting one for me in terms mm-hmm. of obviously going only with two hookers. Obviously, Dion Fury uh, can play hooker uh, in the scrum, but he's not very, he's not a very good thrower. I, mean, I know a lot about that. Um, so he he's a bit of a risk. He may play one of the games. He may, uh, I think they're talking about maybe him playing against Romania at hooker, which would give the other two lads a rest. And then they went for four scrum halves and no Lucano and, and no Pollard, you know. Um, so probably of for me, the squad that South Africa look under equipped compared to normal. Uh, sorry, they look weaker than normally do based on their squad selection. Um, which for us, obviously, being in our group is is very interesting. Yeah, and on South Africa, uh, there's a few interesting quotes from Jack Nienaber yesterday that um, are jumping out at me. So obviously, losing Andre Pollard, Lucan Yuam, and Lou Diag are obviously the the main. They're the main lines out of it. But th- these lines from uh from Nienaber are quite interesting. So, uh, Pollard and Lucan Yuam, they're part of the the official standby list, and both of those players are going to be involved with the Springboks over the next few weeks when they're doing their warm-up games in, in the UK. Um, so this is what Nina Aber had to say. Uh, Pollard will be able to start training with us, whereas with Lucanio, we think it's a two- to four-week injury. Still very acute. We'll probably get a better gauge at the end of this week how he's doing. Here's the interesting line. We believe they both will have the potential to be fit and ready to go by the Scotland game, maybe the week after that. But they can only come in. Uh, they can only come into the World Cup squad if there's an injury or if a player does something to deselect himself. Now, when Birch, when he has picked a squad with that many back rows and that many scrum halves, I really am curious to know what is the threshold for deselecting himself. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't. I actually didn't look yourself because I thought you had to be injured. Um, but no, I, I think uh, the official squad list, as far as I know, does not have to be into World Rugby. No. until a much later date. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sorry, absolutely. But I, I, I yeah, absolutely. But I presumed. I presume this was a group barring injury that were going to go to the World Cup um, at the start. And and obviously, if you have four nines and, and Andre Pollard is fit, you know, you would love to be able to swap one of your, your four-choice nine um, for him. Like, I, I I think he is absolutely crucial for South Africa's chances of, of winning the World Cup. Um, but, sorry, yeah, 
I always, I, I didn't know you could just deselect somebody, to be honest. And obviously, you can claim you have an, they have an injury. Um, but it was interesting that he said deselect. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and look, you can still change that World Cup squad. Like, obviously, there will be changes to England. There will be changes to South Africa more than likely because of an injury. Mm-hmm. But, um, and of course, you're going to have players on standby and, and training with a squad as long as you can, particularly players of the quality of, of Diager, uh, Pollard uh, and Am. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, very, it was very interesting. I need to check the the, the, the law, the rules on that. Look, obviously, with injury, it's very hard to prove that someone is or isn't injured. Um, but I didn't know that you would send someone home for lack of form and change him and bring in a, a top end player to replace him. Um, well, I think that. Well, I, I think it's more over the before the weeks. yeah okay. over the next few weeks across across the warm up games. I would say is where the yeah. the deselect word is, okay. is relevant. Well, then what's the point? What's the point in naming it then? I saw the mm-hmm. fanfare. They like they did a massive uh, rigmarole around announcing it. So if you're one of those players, you kind of hope that means you're going to the World Cup. You know what I mean? Um, but look at. Maybe deselection is around discipline or off off field stuff, but it'd be very harsh to get dropped for a poor performance now, having been you know announced as being a, a World Cup member. Look at they're they're the champions, um, and the reality is you know everybody is trying different ways of preparing a team, and whoever wins the World Cup, you know there's a documentary about chasing the sun or whatever it was, you know, and, and everything and that was being used around clubs for the last four years as as the way to success. So uh, maybe this. Uh, this deselection is the way forward. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just um, it's part of being Irish and used to GA championships, where you just become <laughs> wary of you become wary of any team selections <laughs> until the players are out on the pitch. Um, Mick, on on some of the we mentioned the amount of back rows they have. So there's six six official back row forwards, and then throw in Franco Moster who plays most of his most of his rugby for South Africa, probably in the back row. And Dion Fury as well, who who as Birch said can play hooker, but is he's a back row and a half. You know, he's a back row playing hooker rather than a hooker playing back row these days. Um, yeah. Potentially, there you've got eight back rows. From my point of view, that would probably lead me to believe that Sia Khaleesi is not tracking particularly well fitness wise. Yeah, no, it does. It does make it look that way. Um, like. I, I actually think Mostert's the one who's going to potentially start in the second row with Etzebeth, though. Okay. Um, in, in my mind, uh, like, because they've just had so much certainty there over the last number of years. It's just been Etzebeth, Diager, that's been the second row pairing, and, you know, that, that's been it. Um, but, you know, it's a case of the start Marvin Ari with Etzebeth, and then, you know, Marvin Ari can call the lineouts. It just leaves Etzebeth to play his own game. Um, if he starts Nyman and Etzebeth, uh, like I, I don't, I just don't know. I don't know if that's something that that the Springboks are going to do. They seem to like to have Nyman as more of an impact player coming off the bench for the last kind of 30, 40 minutes. One of like essentially a, a member of the bomb squad. Um, but it it seems to be it just seems to be the way it's going with the squads. No, no different to Ireland having Tyg Byrne as a bit of a bit of a five and a half. Ryan Bird as a bit of a five and a half. Um, England, like the only out and out second row they seem to have in their squad is Dave Ribbons, as far as I can see, and he's definitely athletic enough to play in the back row as well. Um, you know, like aside from that, you've you've a Toje, you've Laws, you've um George Martin, um, and there's there's other other guys in there as well who who can do both. Um, 
with regards to England, obviously South Africa are blessed in terms of having like said Peter Step de Trois as a uh, as a lineout option and and Dwayne Vermeulen can can get off the ground. Uh but that's with that's with a huge amount of effort lifting him, I can say from experience. Um so like I think it's gonna be very interesting from from an English selection point of view. I'm probably jumping ahead a small bit here from from a World Cup uh starting team standpoint that you know in my mind it's probably gonna be someone like Laws who who starts at six because if you were start a back row of let's say Ludlum, Vunapola and Jack Willis or or Ben Earl, you're you're very much limiting yourself in that set piece space because all three of those guys could comfortably be used as plus ones in lineouts. Yeah, and on that numbers game, if we continue on with England then Birch, the 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 notable absentees from from their squad, the, the big one probably Henry Slade missing out. And again, to kind of track what Borthwick was kind of saying, he didn't explicitly say it, but he sort of hinted, obviously, that Slade missed out ultimately because it was a numbers game. They were going with the 19-14 the split and there were just other players there. Someone who will say, for example, can play wing and cover in centre and yeah. someone who plays centre can cover in wing or out half or full back or wherever. Um, and kind of matching that up to Ireland and what we think Ireland will be trying to do. So if Ireland were to go with the 19-14 as their forward back split, would I feel bad mentioning it, but specifically, but would that put someone like Stuart McCluskey under a bit of pressure in your point of view, where he is this, he's this specialist 12, yeah. uh, where you have a lot of guys like a Jimmy O'Brien who can play a number of positions and a handful of other guys who can mix and match around the place where on a given day, Stuart McCluskey could start for Ireland or Henry Slade could start for England. But when you're trying to make up those numbers, they become vulnerable. Yeah, and that's that, that's the problem of being, you know, um, an out and out uh, twelve or, um, you know, a uh, very much a tight head lock. And, you know, you, you limit your you limit your opportunities. And I, I think McCluskey is under pressure. I, I don't think, uh, and and that's not that he, you know, you wouldn't trust him to start against South Africa or, um, or, or Scotland or or in a quarter final. But it's just that, in my opinion, Robbie, Gary, and and Bundy are ahead of him, you know, um, and Robbie obviously is versatile. There's no one touching Gary. I think Bundy has has always got the nod under Farrell ahead of McCluskey when he's been when he's been fit. So I think it is tight. I think you know Slade is probably okay, he's not versatile, but it looks like Bortwick is going to go for that kick and power game. Um and he's a pick bigger athletes and obviously with 19 forwards and, and even that's 19 forwards with only one eight, you know, Fiddy with a polar. And I just think I mean, something that, that probably, if it doesn't work out for Bortwick, Dombrand has started the last, is it six or seven games at eight for, uh, you know, even up including uh, Wales, and he's out in the squad, yeah. you know. So um, that kind of stuff, uh, like you want your coach to be quite consistent in terms of his thought process, and they're the ones that are probably the shocks. Um, you know, someone like Henry State who has been used. Um, but it, I think Kukluski... If we go 14, I, I think he, he won't go, to be honest. Um, and that would be a huge shock from from an Irish point of view uh, because, you know, he's performed well for Ireland um, and he's he's well able to play. It's just it'd be very hard to bring him given the power and strength we have at, at centre. And then those players like, you know, Jimmy O'Brien or, or, or Keith Earls or Frawley potentially, or Crowley, you know, um, like speaking of people in Munster, 
and they love him at 12. You know what I mean? They love him at 12 and, and, uh, and for certain games. And the way Ireland play, the way Ireland play and want to play in a two-sided attack, um, obviously, if you had three first receivers as such, which would be Sexton, Crowley, and Hugo Keenan, I mean, that makes you much more um, adaptable and, and difficult to stop. Just just quickly jumping around here a little bit, but going back to South Africa quickly. So John Klein, going back to South Africa, my understanding is that has repercussions for Munster in that Munster would be under big pressure not to play Klein and Simon together in a, in a Munster jersey because they're both non-Irish qualified locks and that blocks somebody else. So... You know, um, that's a kind of a hidden consequence of of him becoming South African qualified again, um, which and, made, and con- you know, contract down the line then as well. Yeah, obviously. yeah, it's very messy for them. Like obviously, look, maybe Snyman will, maybe Snyman will want to have the experience somewhere else, and John Klein will stay. Obviously, he's married to an Irish girl, and it's been amazing for Munster. There's, there's no question about what he's given Munster, but this this is a headache for Graham Roundtree uh, and the coaches that. You, you don't foresee, you know, um, when you're doing your death charts and you're planning. Um, yeah, but that's, that's just something that maybe people aren't aware of that will become an issue for Munster. And, and maybe they'll get exemption for certain games, but certainly um, I, I, I find it hard to see how the RFU would want both of them to play together. Yeah, it's going to be a tricky one. Finally, before we finish, guys, I might just quickly get your thoughts on Ireland's other Pool B opponent, Scotland. Um, pretty bizarre game against France. Uh, I watched the first half uh, at home before I went over to the Aviva Stadium on Saturday and they were absolutely awful by the time I got to the to the Aviva Stadium they were winning and were just about to to see out the victory throw in Xander Fagerson's red card he's got a three week ban down to two if he completes tackle skills so he will be back and ready for the World Cup but just quickly what were your what are you taking away if anything from that Scotland performance against France yeah look I'd say I'd say Scotland were very obviously very happy with how they how they went in the second half, how they kind of came together to to get the result. Um, I'd imagine they were they were read the riot act at half time by Gregor Townsend and the coaching team. But on the flip side of that, like France weren't a million miles off having their number ones on going out onto the pitch for the second half. Um so like yeah, it's it's a really it's a really tough one, really tough one to read. Um France seemed to do something that's like, you know, very typically French or was typically French maybe five to ten years ago, um, in terms of just taking the win at half time and, and finishing up from there. Um and then obviously from from a Scottish point of view, uh I thought they I thought they put some really good play together in the second half to get the win. Finally, Bert, are you reading much into to that result performance anything from that those 80 minutes yeah, no look, they get confidence from it and they are a dangerous side but I think we've always been able to find a way to quash that um, that belief that they that they can build and I, I don't think they've done anything um, over the last two weeks against Italy and France that will really really worry us you know we know it's going to be a tough games they're a tier one test team but I think we still have the tools to, to beat them very good. So we'll be back on the RT Rugby podcast next week. Looking ahead to Ireland's game against England on Saturday the 19th. That'll be live on RT2 and RT Player. Until then, Bernard, thanks a million for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day in Limerick. Mick's thank- Mick, thanks as always as well. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Good luck.